Good evening, everybody. How are you doing? Yeah. Thank you for coming. And uh, um, I have a lot of, of, I have miles to go before I sleep here. So uh, um, let's just get into it here. I am convinced that um, the last book in the Bible is a very, very special book. Um, It's really uh, the only book that was, uh, you know, John gets all the credit, but the truth is John was just the stenographer. He was the secretary that wrote down what the Lord was saying, and uh, so many people talk about the book of Revelation in, in reference to John, but when you, when you just look at the title of the book, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And um, so that's, that's, that's a big deal. I, I would be the last, I, would be, I wouldn't be honest if I told you I've got all this figured out. And um, the truth is, I, 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 don't, I don't know if anybody does. Um, I, I think there are some things in that word, they're like a flower. They have to bloom. And after they bloom, it's pretty obvious. But uh, um, before, um, it's, uh, it's a crapshoot. And um, there are multiple mentions in the word of something that's a derivative of seven. I don't know if we'll be able to cover it in this season of Bible class before the new life groups start. But I have always believed that the secret to understanding the Bible were the seven days of creation in Genesis and what is known as the Feast of Jehovah in Leviticus 23. I've found a verse years ago, and I've mentioned it to you through the years. Um, in, in the book of Psalms, it says, in, the Engl- in, your, in your King James Bible, it said, Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. But I was studying it one day, and I was using the Amplified Bible as a companion text. And when I read that verse in the Amplified, this is what it says. It says, Blessed Uh, happy to be envied are the people who know the joyful sound. And then it says this, who understand and appreciate the spiritual blessings symbolized by the feast. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. And when I read that verse, I had absolutely no idea what the feast were. But according to that verse in Psalms, there were spiritual blessings that those feasts were symbols of. I had no idea what the symbols were. I had no idea what the feasts were. So that started this odyssey. And when you get to Leviticus 23, there are seven feasts of Jehovah. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. And and I've, I've given myself to this for years, trying to figure some of this stuff out. And I, I don't have time, maybe in another Bible lesson, can, I can compare and show you where I am right now and in an understanding of how that first day was Passover 
And that, you know, the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the faces of the water, just like that Spirit moved over Egypt there in Exodus chapter 12. And, and then there was unleavened bread, and first fruits, Pentecost. It's a wonderful study. But it morphs into something. And the more and more you study, and as I've, again, Timothy says, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there are lots of things in that verse. Uh, if you go starting in the back and go towards the front, if you can rightly divide the truth, you can wrongly divide it. So it's important to know how to rightly divide the truth. And um, do you want the approval of God on your life? Then study the word. Study to show thyself approved unto God. And then it says, if you'll do this, you won't be ashamed. I've taught Bible studies for years and um, um, people have asked me questions and I don't know the answer to. I, I personally enjoy that when I get stumped because it makes me dig. Because I don't, I don't, I don't want to just shoot a bunch of baloney at them. Uh, you ever heard of that? Oh boy, it's just live stream. This is live streaming. You ever heard of that Indian sitting bull? Well, he's got a brother named Shooting Bull. Okay, and uh, there are a lot of preachers that have a lot in common with that other brother. And it's just, they don't ever want to appear like they don't have the answer. Me, if I don't know, I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to try and figure it out. And, and you dig, you dig. The Bible says, search for him like silver and look for him like hidden treasure. Um, if you study the mining industry, on the average, they, they, they move a, a ton of dirt for every ounce of ore that they find. And that's why I think Paul one time mentioned that he, he talked about my fellow laborers in the word of the Lord. And there are just times you'll be in that Bible and you'll read and read and read. And, 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 and then there are just those magic moments when all of a sudden it comes together and you go, oh, and it's the elephant in the room and you get it. That's why last week I was trying to show you um, I think the Catholics have got it wrong, and I think the Pentecostals have got it wrong. The Catholics say, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And the Catholic church says, that's Peter. Peter's the first pope. That's the rock the church was built on. I, I do not believe God would build his church on a carnal man. I, I, I don't believe that. And then the Pentecostals say, uh, the rock was Jesus. Uh, I think there's another way to look at that. I, I know Jesus is the cornerstone. I get all that. But I think, I think the church is built on revelation. I think that's the thing. And uh, because, you know, so many people have the very same Bible and they're getting some really goofy stuff out of that Bible. Um, you, you can pretty much make that Bible say anything that you want. Um, um, my pastor would let us play ball, but we couldn't, we couldn't play pool. And this is years ago. Me, I was, whatever, precocious and always asked the wrong question. And my question was, well, what's the difference between hitting the ball with the end of the stick and the side of the stick? <clears throat> wrong question to ask. We had a bad attitude, but uh, whatever. And it's just, um, how do you rightly divide the word? How do you rightly divide it? Look at the New Testament. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the first division 
of the New Testament. Um, what are you going to find in the first? What are you going to find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? You're going to find, read about a guy named John the Baptist, who was the guy that announced. He was basically half cousin to Jesus. And um, Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mom, and Mary, mother of Jesus, they're, they're, they're sisters. And so um, um, you're going to find about John the Baptist. You're going to find the Jesus Christ. You're going to you're going to read about him choosing his 12 followers. You're, you're going to read about things called parables, which were the lessons that Jesus taught. You're going to read about the miracles that he did. Um, there's a verse in the book of John. It says, there were many other miracles which Jesus did, the which, if written every one, not even the world could contain the books that could be written. There are at least three places in the New Testament where it says, and the whole city was at the door. There are other places that say they brought everybody that was sick. Everybody that was sick. And, um, you know, uh, if Jesus was in this room here tonight, they'd clean out Beaumont. That's just a couple miles up the road. They'd clean it out. That's what they did. They brought everybody that was sick. Um, so uh, there are obviously many, 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 many things that we do not know that Jesus did. However, there are 37 miracles in the Bible given to us that Jesus did perform. And um, you're going to find those in the gospel. And this is what's, I think, one of the critical moments. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with the same story. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, that's critical. And as I've shown you in John 7, Holy Ghost was not given until Jesus left. Holy Ghost was not given until Jesus was glorified. He wasn't glorified until he left. So if you want to find out about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will go to the next division of the book of the Bible, which is the book of Acts. Acts is the diary of the New Testament church. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. You can divide Acts into two large categories. Acts 1 through 12 is the ministry of Peter. He's the principal spokesman for the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. But 13 through 28 is the Apostle Paul. And that's why if you've got any kind of Bible at all in the back of your Bible, you're going to have probably at least five maps. And one of those Maps will probably be the 12 tribes of Israel. And a lot of them will give you a picture of Herod's temple. But almost without exception, every Bible will have three maps called Paul's Three Missionary Journeys. And if you start in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas started these missionary journeys. And you will read about a city called Corinth. And you'll read about a place called Galatia. You'll read about a city called Ephesus. Another one called Philippi. Another one called Thessalonica. Another place called Corinth. Um, you'll read about a young preacher, a young protege of Paul by the name of Timothy. And that's, that, that's what you have to understand. The book of Acts is unique in the New Testament because it is the only book that gives us actual accounts of people being baptized and people being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal. And so from Acts 13 to 28, you have what are known as the three missionary journeys of Paul. And 
he would go to these cities and he would start a church and then he'd teach it and he'd ordain elders and a pastor and he'd leave. Sometimes he got to go back. Sometimes he didn't get to go back. But what he did do was write letters to these churches that were started in Acts 13 through 28. And letters is nothing more than the street term for epistle. Epistle is the stained glass term for letters. These are letters, most of them written by the Apostle Paul back to churches that he started in the book of Acts. And this, this is a big deal, ladies and gentlemen. So if I, you know, someone says, well, where can I find out about Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus and Bethlehem, Christmas time? That's going to be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Where, 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 where can I find out about being filled with the Holy Spirit and be baptized in the name of the Lord? That's going to be in the book of Acts. Where can I find out about living for the Lord and living the Christian life? That's going to be in Romans through the end of the book, the letters, the epistles. The problem comes into uh, places when basically you read somebody else's mail. Okay? For instance, there is a verse uh, in Corinthians which Paul said, I'd rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. There are people that take that verse and say, see there, speaking in tongues is of the devil. Speaking in tongues is absolute lunacy. However, if you'll just read right after that, this is what Paul said. But I thank God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Okay? You, what you have to understand is being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking with tongues is an experience in the book of Acts. The Corinthian letter was written to a church that was started in the book of Acts. You get what I'm saying? Don't go to the letter that was written to people already in church to find out about how to get in church. Okay? Here's Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, saying, I'm going to have a church, I'm going to have a church, I'm going to have a church. Okay? Acts, the church is born. It teaches you how to get in that church that, that Jesus taught that he was going to have. And then everything after the book of Acts teaches you how to stay in the church. It's one thing to get in, but you've got to stay in. Okay? And that thing, once you're saved, you're always saved. It's a great theory, but it won't hold scrutiny in the Bible. I wish it was, I wish it was true. Technical name is Calvinism. Unconditional eternal security. It doesn't matter what you do. Once you accept Jesus as your savior, you're in the church and nobody can pluck you out of his hand. All you got to do is read the first story in the Bible. Okay, they're in the garden, they disobey, they get booted out. That doesn't sound to me like unconditional eternal security. Sounds to me like you can stay as long as you obey. That's why Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Not the beginning, you gotta stick it out to the end. Okay, and this is very important. And so I I just wanna get these concepts in you because I'm gonna... With what time I have, I'm going to deal with Matthew chapter 13 tonight. Because Matthew chapter 13, let me read you verse 11. And he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But unto them it's not given. So in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus teaches seven parables. Seven. I am convinced 
that those seven parables that are in Matthew chapter 13 line up exactly with the seven churches that are given in Revelation 2 and 3. I think, and, and I, I can back this up with a lot of scripture, but I am convinced that those seven churches which are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3, they are historical churches. They were in a place called Asia Minor, which is a, is a piece of real estate about the size of Indiana. They really did exist years ago. However, be, because of the way Jesus described them to John, there's more to this than just them seven churches 2,000 years ago. I'm convinced the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 are the seven seasons that the church has gone through between its birth in Acts chapter 2 and now. And I'll, I'll show you what I mean by that. Um, in, in Revelation, he talks about the seven-branched candlestick. If you ever heard of the term menorah, um, that was, there was a candlestick in the tabernacle of Moses and had seven stems in it. And in Revelation chapter 1, it talks about those, those seven candlesticks. And um, here's Revelation, I'll start reading. Here's Revelation 1 and 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice. It was like a trumpet. It said, I'm Alpha, Omega, the first, the last, um, and what you see, write it in a book, send it under the seven churches which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the middle of these seven candlesticks, this is important, he said, I saw somebody who was like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot, gird about the paps or around the waist with a golden girdle. His head and his hair was white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like molten brass, brass that was melted in a furnace. His voice was of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shining in the strength. This, is a, there's, this, is, this phrase is mentioned many times in the Bible, and the best way to translate it from Greek to English is like, like the sun at high noon on a cloudless day. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his hands upon me and he said, don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. I'm he that liveth and was dead. I'm alive forevermore, amen. And I've got the keys of hell and death. And um, there, there are many, many things. I just can't afford the luxury of chasing rabbits right now. And it's just um, um, what you have to get here is here's John 7, 37, 38, and 39. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. 
what I have read to you, that description, white hair, eyes like fire, like a, like a sword coming, that's the glorified Christ. That didn't happen until after Jesus left. Okay? Since John 7, 39 says, nobody be filled with the Spirit until Jesus was glorified. As I showed you before, you've got to go beyond Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to find out about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The other thing I'm trying to show you is what I'm reading to you in the book of Revelation is not the Jesus that was ministering on the earth. This is the glorified Christ. Here's the first church, okay? The first church is Ephesus. Ephesus was basically known as the third church. The mother church was considered to be Jerusalem. Uh, They were called Christians first in Antioch. Um, This has been a pet peeve of mine for many, many, many years. It was a personal, whatever, for the lack of a better word, it was a personal revelation that I felt the Lord gave me years ago, and it set the tone for this particular congregation. Uh, We had a nice, safe, white church here when I came, and and I had a dream. Uh, um, I, I just did. I saw Jesus fall, and I saw a soldier grab a guy from the crowd and make him carry the cross of Jesus. But what was so prominent to me in the dream was the guy that he pulled out of the crowd was black. When I woke up at three in the morning, I was deeply, deeply, deeply moved. And I went and got my Bible and I found the story about Jesus falling and them grabbing this guy by the name of Simon of Cyrene. And they compelled him to carry the cross of Jesus. Well, if you do a little bit of geography, you're going to find out Cyrene was North Africa. And um, um, I'm convinced the blood of Jesus was on the cross because of his back being beaten, The Romans believed that 40 stripes would kill a man. And so um, they gave you 39. And it was pieces of leather, usually with glass or bone or metal on the end. We're not talking just about some raised red welt here. We're talking about something that ripped your skin off. So it's interesting today. Uh, Remember, I I think I did it Sunday, a little bit Sunday, but... Uh, Isaiah refers to by his stripes we are healed and I read you the scripture in Peter by his stripes we were healed it's interesting to note that in the medical community today they've divided all types of sickness into 39 categories I always like that little tidbit I think there was a stripe on the back of Jesus for every category of sickness that there was and um Now, someone corrected me one time because I said, if the blood of Jesus was on the cross, then the first one to actually come in contact with was Simon. And they said, well, what about the guy that beat him? And so, yeah, I suppose he got splattered on too. But but when you talk about the cross, the first man that actually carried the cross after Jesus was black. When some white boy from Sterling Heights... Right? And, and, you know, and so you, 
you get into Acts chapter 13. Matthew will get this. And there were in the church that was in Antioch certain teachers and prophets. And it'll say there was Barnabas. And there was obviously Paul was there. Simeon that was called Niger. Niger is a river in Africa. The word Niger means black man. This is where the ugliest word in English came from. Oh yeah, add, add a G. That's, they bastardized that word and that's where they came from. And Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, Saul of Tarsus or the Apostle Paul. So these are the five, these are the five guys that are on the ministry team at the church in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, a guy named Simeon that was obviously black, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan. This is interesting, which has been brought up. This is considered um, the half-brother of Herod the Tetrarch. This is, ever, who was it? Uh, probably Frost that said two roads converged in the woods and I took the one less traveled. That made all the difference. There's a, there's, I don't have to get time to get sidetracked with that, but Here's two guys raised in the same family and one went one way and one went the other and one ended up denying, denying um, and the other one ended up on the ministry team of this fascinating church. Now this is fascinating to me because they were not called Christians first in Jerusalem because the Jerusalem church is all Jews. They're called Christians first at Antioch And the reason is Antioch is the first interracial New Testament church in the Bible. That's a big deal, ladies and gentlemen. Because when you study the scripture, there's not going to be no eight mile in the New Jerusalem. There's not going to be no hood. Okay? It said there will be someone from every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every nation. This... The, the, the legitimate church of Jesus Christ should be multi, multicolor, multicultural. It ought to span the whole shooting match. And if we're going to have a real church right now, we have, yes, sure, sure. sure. Right now, to the best of our knowledge, we have 42 nationalities in this church. That's not enough. <clears throat> I want 52. And after that, I want 62. It's just, I want, I want somebody from everywhere. And uh, that's a real church. That's a real church. And we had people leave years ago over this, this teaching. And um, I don't care. Just, uh, I heard something in Oklahoma. It's crude, but it says, uh, don't let the screen door hit you where the good Lord split you. <clears throat> you want to go over something like that? Adios, bye. I don't want you here. I don't want that kind of spirit. Satan is territorial. The God that we serve is omnipresent. There's no barriers. There's no boundaries in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's, that, that, that's a big deal. And so the church in Jerusalem was, was where it started. But the church in Antioch was considered the second. But the church in Ephesus is considered number three. The book, I, I've always taught you. The book of direction in the Old Testament is the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is, is unlike any other book in the Old Testament. And the book of Ephesians in the New Testament 
is unlike any. Every other letter or epistle has got a rebuke in it somewhere. There's somewhere that they're doing something stupid. And Paul's writing them a letter to try and straighten it out. But when you read the six chapters of the book of Ephesians, it's, it's just from front to back, it's revelatory stuff. The Ephesian church, they, it would have been fun going and being a part of the Ephesian church. I think that is why the Lord writes about the Ephesian church. Because when you compare the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1 with the first parable in Matthew 13, what's the first parable? He said it was the beginning of the season and the sower went forth to sow and started sowing the seed for the very first time. And um, when you study, uh, this is fascinating, but I, don't, I, I wish I could spend time here, but when you study Ephesus, you, you will learn about what's known as the Temple of Artemis or what is also known as the Temple of Diana. Diana was, was remember, they had such a revival and a harvest in Ephesus that the guys that made a living selling idols created a riot because Paul took their, their livelihood away. Um, they said years ago when Dwight Moody preached in Chicago, the bars closed and the movie houses shut down. And they were mad and did everything they could to shut Moody out of, get Moody out of town. That's, 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 that's a real legitimate move of God right there. And, and these idol makers weren't selling no idols. And they blamed it on, uh, on Paul and Barnabas. Um, I had to speak in a situation uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I read that. I've never preached it here. But basically he said, we didn't, we didn't blaspheme your idol. And, and the people that stood up and defended Paul and said, they didn't say anything against your idol. Which is... Uh, a good maxim to live by. And, uh, but behind me, uh, Matthew will have a picture of, this is Diana. If you notice the ring around her neck, that's the moon. And, and this, I wish I had time to teach you about it, but this is a big deal that the temple of Diana, the goddess Diana, and they worship the moon. And, um, Here's a verse that you've heard before. It's in Malachi 4 and 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the, shall the Son, capital S, Son of Righteousness, rise with healing in his wings. This obviously is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Um, and again, here I'm going to get sidetracked. But the word wing there in English is the Hebrew word kanaf. And the best way to translate kanaf is edges or borders of the garment. And so 800 or 400 years before Jesus showed up, this guy Malachi said, I'm going to tell you how you'll be able to know Messiah is there. He's going to have healing in the edges of his clothes. And that woman with the, the issue of blood grabbed the hem of his garment, Matthew chapter 9, instantly she was healed. If you go five chapters later in Matthew chapter 14, this is what it says. And they got all of the diseased 
And they brought them to Jesus and besought him if they could just touch the hem of his garment. So that woman in Matthew 9 opened up a brand new ministry that no one had ever done before. Never ever thought of it before. But what she did in Matthew 9 by herself, lots of people in Matthew 14 said, hey, we'll just, we'll just touch his clothes. We'll just touch his clothes. And what, what I'm trying to show you is the prophecy of Jesus in Malachi 4 he is referred to as the son, the son of righteousness. But when you go back to the beginning, probably Genesis 1 and 16, this is what it said. He made a greater light to rule the day, and he made a lesser light to rule the night. Okay? So it's very obvious what we're talking about. We're talking about the sun and the moon. According to Malachi chapter 4, we know who the sun is. So the question is, who's the moon? The moon is the church because the moon has no light source of her own. She's a reflection of the light from the sun. But she still influences the tides. And she, see, it's dark in the world right now. Okay? We're supposed to be the lesser light that rules the darkness. And the only way we're going to really be able to make a difference in this very dark Time in this world is we have to reflect him and not let it all be about us. Okay? And, and this, this is very important. I'm convinced the Ephesian church is when he started sowing the gospel seed. Okay? The next church is Smyrna. Revelation 2 and verse 8. He said... Uh, what, what's the parable, what's the next parable in Matthew 13? It's called the wheat and the tares. The wheat and the weeds. They sowed good seed and, and it says the enemy came and sowed weeds, sowed tares in the garden. I had someone ask me this question and I'll answer it. Um, because there's probably someone else that needs this understanding. I, I, I probably won't be able to finish tonight, but that's fine. I'll, I'll pick it up next week. Here's the book of Acts Church right here, okay? Powerful. Did they baptize? Yes. How did they baptize? Were they filled with the Spirit? Yes. What happened when those people were filled with the Spirit? Did they pray for the sick? Did they believe in miracles and signs and wonders? Yes. How did that happen? What went on there? Who was leading that church? These elders and these bishops, pastors. So here's, here's the book of Acts church. But when you read Acts chapter 2, Peter said this. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. That's probably Acts 2 and 17. But when you go back to Joel 2.28, it says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. But if you go right before that, into verse number 25, listen to what Joel said. I will restore to you the years 
that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, the great army which was sent among you. I thought it's four different kinds of bugs. But when you study it, it's not four different bugs. It's four stages of the locust. Okay? And one of them eats fruit, another one eats buds, one of them eats leaves, and one of them eats bark. So when they got done, the tree is raped. You got no bark, you got no leaves, you got no buds, you got no fruit. But there's one cool thing about this study. None of these bugs eat roots. The roots stay intact. Now, if you read some commentaries, they'll say, oh, they had a horrible uh, infestation of locusts and Joel was prophesying that, that, that God's going to give them their orchards back and they're going to get their trees back and they're going to have their fruit back. It's not what it says. It says, I'm going to give you the years, the years. I'm convinced that's the prophecy. I think that's what happened. This is why the first parable is the sower went forth to sow, but what's the very next parable? Somebody put weeds in the garden. Okay. This is what I'm convinced. So when you read the writings of Paul and Peter, I, I think I've got it written down. I, I think it's, it's Peter and Luke. Um, trying to remember. Here, here's Luke 1 and verse 2. Even as they delivered them unto us from the which beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Here's 2 Peter 1 and 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, if you've ever been to court, there's two kinds of witnesses. And uh, evidence, I guess we could call it. There's what's known as circumstantial evidence. Okay. Here's Mike Parsons and, uh, and his wife's dead. Okay. Now, nobody saw him do it. However, um, he, uh, he had the motive. Uh, he was really mad at Anna Marie. And he had the means, which was the ball bat. And, and his, 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 his alibi won't up, hold up under scrutiny. There's two or three hours we can't account for him. So he had motive and he had means and he op- opportunity. But that's all they got. They got no fingerprints. They got no, this is circumstantial evidence. However, if Carrie said, I saw him go on in, in that house, and when he came out an hour later, I saw him, he had new clothes on, he changed his clothes, and he was burning the old stuff in a barrel in the backyard. She's an eyewitness. There's all the difference between circumstantial evidence and an eyewitness. Luke says it, Peter said it, Paul refers to it. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it. We were there. We ate that bread fish that he did from that kid's lunch. We saw him walk on water. We saw him raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. We saw that. But when you read the writings of these, these apostles, they say, listen, we're going to die. And when we die, somebody's coming after us who didn't see it. All right? And that's why when you read their writings, they say, you've got to be careful because there's going to be false teachers that are going to come. They're going to teach commandments of men 
like they were doctrines of God. Okay. Uh, there's, there's some place, I don't know if I have it written down here. Uh, um, well, let's take this one, for instance. This is First Timothy 4 and 3. He said, there's people going to come that's going to forbid you to get married. <clears throat> They're going to tell you to abstain from meats. Uh, I'm on live stream, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's unnatural to tell a man not to get married. When I was a kid, none of the Catholics ate meat on Friday. You tell me who came along afterwards and forbid men in the ministry to get married. I know this is a Catholic area, but what I'm telling you is history. The greatest book-burning institution in the history of the world was the political church. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The bugs got in the church. Somebody sowed weeds in the church. Because if you study your history, they had a debate between two guys, Arius and Athanasius. Arius said Jesus was 100% God. Arius said he was 100% man. Athanasius said he was 100% God. So they had a, it's called a diet. They had a debate. Athanasius wins the debate. They burn Arius at the stake, which is quite an incentive to win the debate. It gives birth to what is known as the Athanasian Creed. He's very God of very God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, co-majestic. That's the Athanasian Creed. So... If Jesus is all God and Mary gave birth to him, she's the mother of God. So before you go to the boy, you got to go to mama first. That's a weed. Okay. It was a great, listen, I'm not trying to offend your Catholic background, but listen with revelation. It was a great miracle When Mary gave birth to Jesus, it was a greater miracle when he gave birth to her. Because when you read Acts chapter 2, Mary is with that 120 on the day of Pentecost that was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's a big deal. Jesus, Jesus is teaching one day and they said, your mother and your brothers and sisters are without. And he said, who is my mother? But those that hear the word of the Lord and obey it. Wow. Here's the problem with the Catholic Church. And I, Pentecost has got its own problem. So I'm just, just build, not building up a straw man and trying to promote what I do because of some. Listen to me. You have methods and you have principles. They're not the same. The principle was, the thing that mattered was, God's got to get here in flesh. Uh, I'll probably repeat it, but I felt like the Lord gave it to me yesterday evening after church. 
or after prayer meeting. That wasn't yesterday evening, but it was yesterday was Tuesday. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Here's the problem with so many people. They get Christmas, but they don't get Calvary. They understand a child was born and they make a big deal out of that. The reason the child was born was so that that son could be given. That's Calvary. Don't just hoot and holler about Christmas. Make sure you understand what the cross was all about. Okay? And so what I'm trying to show you is the principle was that God was coming in flesh. The method was Mary. Do you know that in the Old Testament, Moses, under the obedience to the Lord, built a snake out of brass. And they had all these serpents that were biting and killing people. He said, lift, lift the snake up on a pole. And if they're, all they got to do, you're, you're talking about several million people here. All they got to do is just look to where the snake is on the pole. If they'll look by faith at the snake on the pole, I'll heal them. And that's why years later in the book of John, Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent, if I, even I, be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Okay? 400 years later, somebody bought that snake at a garage sale. That's the truth. And they promoted it. This is one of the gods that got us out of Egypt. And the king found it and said, it's just a hunk of metal. Nehushtan was the word. And broke it into pieces. That's putting method in its proper place. Do you know that a rooster preached Peter into conviction? Three times that rooster preached to him. Thank God we never found the rooster. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you they would have stuffed that sucker and they would have charged $25 admission. Come see the rooster that preached Peter under conviction. Because we're like, we're like baseball memorabilia people. We want stuff, you know? What's important, this is what Jesus says. My mother isn't important right now. My mother got me here. You listen to me. Because I'm speaking the word. Whoever obeys my word, that's what really matters right now. He's putting method in its proper place. Our problem is we take methods and turn them into doctrines. We turn them into, thank God we never found that ax head that never swam, that ever, that swam. Thank God we, thank God we never found the, the donkey that prophesied to Balaam. We'd have stuffed that dude. That's just the way we are, ladies and gentlemen. And, 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 and what I'm trying to show you is, is here's the church in the book of Acts. And all of a sudden, bam, here's the Trinity. You want to know why Jews don't want anything to do with Christianity? Because they say Christians do not understand the numerical integrity of God. Their deal is you've divided God into three people. One plus one plus one. Did you ever go to first grade? Tell me what one plus one plus one is. 
Trinitarian mathematics is one plus one plus one is one. It, it won't jive, ladies and gentlemen. This is, you don't have to be a rocket science here. Listen to me. There's one spirit. Ephesians chapter four and verse four. One, one spirit with a capital S. Now I got a spirit, demons got a spirit, Satan's a spirit, I get it. That there's only one supreme spirit in the Bible with a capital S, all right? One spirit. I don't care what you call that spirit. You can call that spirit God. You can call that spirit Lord. You can call that spirit Father. You can call that spirit Holy. There's just one spirit. There's not a spirit of the Father separate from the spirit of the Son, separate from the Holy Spirit. That's baloney. There's just one spirit. I'm a son. I'm a father. I'm a grandson. I'm not three people. I've, I've, I've filled three offices. You, you get in the Bible, there's prophet, priest, and king. You realize when Jesus was on this earth, he was our prophet. Now he's in heaven. He's our priest, but he's coming back as king of kings. You got that? It's the same person going to do three different things. That spirit created the world. That spirit came into flesh and that that's what Calvary's all about. It's called the incarnation. That same spirit comes to live and dwell in you and I. The Holy Spirit. Listen, there's just one spirit, okay? Ephesians 4 and 4. John 4 and 24. God is spirit. So would you agree with me that God is that one spirit? Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. Now the Lord is that same spirit. So whether you call that spirit Lord or God, doesn't matter. Same spirit. Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. If there's only one spirit, and you can call that spirit God, you can call that spirit Lord, but that's not the saving name of our God. The saving name of our God is not Father, Son, Lord, it's Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. I don't get the big deal. The most biblically documented doctrine in the Bible is water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by immersion. That's Bible. What's the big deal? What's the problem? I I used to get so mad. And now we're going to hear Hillary Rodham Clinton. Forget the Rodham lady, you're married. All right? What's, what, why? And later on, I'm Hillary Clinton. Add a girl. We're the bride of Jesus Christ. What's the problem with taking his name? All right? What's the, I don't see any problem. Gee, but there's a problem. Jesus said, you're going to be hated of people for my namesake. They, 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 they call me, G, you're Jesus only. I, I was in a place years ago in Louisiana and this woman said, oh, I get it. You believe Jesus is the whole cheese. And Brother Tenney said, oh, it's worse than that, lady. We believe Jesus be the box that she's come in. I'm not Jesus only. I'm Jesus everything. All right. What's, what's the name of the son? Okay. This is what the son said. I'm coming to my father's name. What's the Holy Spirit? It says it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The saving name of God is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The saving name of God is Jesus. That's why, according to the word, we baptize by immersion, 
The Greek word rantizo means to sprinkle. The Greek word baptizo means to dip, immerse, or plunge. The Bible uses the word baptizo, not rantizo. Every place in the Bible, they were dipped. It's a burial. You don't just throw a handful of dirt on somebody and say you're buried. You put them bums six feet in the ground. When you're buried in water, you go under that water. And the Bible said you rise to walk in newness of life. So they're baptizing babies. They're afraid they're going to drown. So they start sprinkling them. And all of a sudden, you get to the dark ages, the 14th century. They're out of money. So they create this thing called purgatory. It's brilliant. It's brilliant, man. Purgatory is a halfway house. Everybody that dies goes to purgatory. So... Here's, you know, Pacheco here. Your oldest girl dies. You're a dumb hillbilly just like me. You don't understand Latin, but you go to church faithful because you're scared slapped to death. Church is in Latin. You don't understand that. But all of a sudden your girl dies. So you come to me. I'm the priest. And I say, let me, let me see. So I, have, I know a little bit about how much money you make a year. And I go, okay, Pacheco, give me five grand and I'll get your daughter out of purgatory and make sure she goes to heaven. It doesn't matter if he understands Mass or not, he's going to come up with the five grand to get his girl out of purgatory. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. It's not Bible, but it's brilliant. So what happens in the 14th century? A Catholic priest by the name of Luther. What's the next thing? What's, what's the very... Next thing that happens here. I'll just finish this and then we'll stop for today. Do you realize that Martin Luther ran for his life for the rest of his life? He nailed 95 reasons on a Catholic church in Wittenberg, Germany and said, here's 94 things that are being taught that are not biblical. He's teaching in a Catholic seminary and he's teaching the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, he reads, you're justified by faith. Not the balance in your checkbook. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You're justified by faith. They're furious at this guy because if what he teaches gets out there, they're going to lose their meal ticket. Okay? So... This guy's on the FBI's most wanted list for the rest of his life. Here's my question. Was Martin Luther right? Exact. Yes, he was. But why was he wrong? Because Martin Luther built a fence around his revelation and built the Lutheran church, which is basically Catholic church on steroids. Really is. Same thing. Mass, the whole deal. Just, just, we're justified by faith. Okay? So what happened? I read something years ago. It said, out of the disgruntled mass comes a man. The man creates a movement. The movement becomes a machine. But many times the machine runs out of oil and becomes a monument. And out of the disgruntled people comes another man who creates another machine, another monument. Exactly what happened. John Calvin shows up and he says, there's no popes and cardinals in the Bible. 
Why don't you have presbyters? Why don't you have pastors like they had in the Bible? They called him a heretic. So what does John Calvin do? He creates another church called Presbyterian. Because they have presbyters. No popes, no cardinals. They have presbyters. Was he right? Yes. Here's where he was wrong. He put a revelation, a fence around his revelation, and said, we're better than the Catholics. We've got more truth than the Lutherans. We have the truth. Okay? So what happens? All of a sudden, the Wesley boys show up and say, you don't have a method for salvation. You don't have A, B, C, and D. You need to be saved, sanctified, filled with the Spirit. They called them crazy. So guess what? The Wesley boys built a church called the Methodist Church. Okay? And then all of a sudden, the next guy shows up, John Smith. You're baptizing by sprinkling. They were baptized by immersion. You're a heretic. So what's he do? He creates his own church. What's it called? The Baptist. Why was it wrong? Because they built a fence around their revelation and said, the Catholics don't have it, Lutherans don't have it, Presbyterians don't have it, and the Methodists don't have it, but the Baptists, we got it. So what happens? Change in the 20th century. Holy Ghost is poured out. Stones Folly, Topeka, Kansas, Alvin, down by, down by um, Galveston, Texas. It morphs and migrates into Los Angeles. 1906, Azusa Street. Do you realize people came from all over the world and nobody ever sent out an invitation? It was a legitimate, sovereign move of the Holy Ghost. Was it right? Yes. Why was it wrong? Because they did what everybody else did. They put a fence around their revelation and say, if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you got nothing. So 14 years later, a guy... Starts teaching baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My, a man that I, I guess I call him a hero to me. Never met him yet. His name is G.T. Haywood. Haywood, let's face it, we were all Trinitarian Pentecostals in the beginning. Okay? Haywood comes in contact with a man named Glenn Cook. Cook teaches him the revelation of Jesus' name baptism. All right? Haywood, I saw the letter. Haywood's superintendent writes a letter to Haywood and said, be careful. Glenn Cook's coming to Indianapolis. Don't even let him on your porch. The letter still exists. Your letter came two days too late. Yesterday, we baptized the whole church in Jesus' name. Were they right? Yes, they were right. Dowie, you ever heard of Zion, Illinois? You ever go to Zion, Illinois? You ought to go there. Pretty fascinating place. It's, you're talking late 30s here. When Dowie started preaching divine healing... You ever heard of ABC, A.A. Allen, William Brannan, Jack Coe? You ever heard of them tent revivals in the 50s? That was a sovereign move of the Holy Ghost. You ever heard of a phrase called the latter rain? That was a legitimate sovereign move of the Holy Ghost, but it got screwed up. What do you say? I'm saying it keeps happening again and again and again and again. Somebody gets a revelation. They build a fence around it and say, we got it all. Pentecostals are just as bad. We have the truth. Because the classic Orthodox Pentecostals, the truth is Acts 2.38. 
Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, fill with the Holy Ghost. Now you can act like an absolute devil after that, but it don't matter because we got our own brand of Calvinism. Once you're baptized in Jesus' name, you're in. Once you speak with the Holy Ghost, you're in. Don't you get it? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Ah. There's a phrase in Christianity. It's called backsliding. Why do they been in church? They did the whole thing, man. Taught Sunday school, sang in a choir, did the whole shooting match. All of a sudden, they left church, got a tattoo, got a wallet with a chain on it. You know, got crazy. They backslid. That's our idea, backsliding. Don't come to church, go get drunk. Let me tell you another way to look at baptism. When you read it, verse number one, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse two, and the spirit moved, moved. Now, I know God's omnipresent, but that phrase keeps popping up again and again and again in the Bible because I've taught you for years. There's the omnipresence of God, and then there's the manifest presence of God. It's not the same thing. Spirit of God comes in two flavors, omnipresence, manifest presence, to where you can see it, where you can feel it, where you can sense it. The the, the Greek word is kabod, which means the weight. You feel that on you. We had a little boy Sunday morning, told his grandma, Grandma, I think I got a bellyache. Except she'd been watching him. He was worshiping and raising his hands. Said, uh, he, she said, what do you mean? He said, I don't know. Something down in here ain't right. She said, would you like to go to the altar? He said, yes. He came up here and got the Holy Ghost in just a matter of moments. It's by out of your belly. Ah, Jesus name. I, I got to quit. Watch. Here's what you have to understand. If we're not careful, we're going to put a dime and put it in the meter and say, I like it here. But see, God moves. God moves. And you may be legitimately in in pace with the spirit right now. But if you get arrogant and think you've got it all and you're going to plant your carcass right here and you're look, look, look. I'll give you this example. I believe the presence of God contains the provisions of God. So when you get in the Old Testament, they, they had a, a cloud, a cloud that was, was, was heat by night and, and it was shade by day. Okay, they had 42 camps in 40 years. So all of a sudden you've moved 16 times and all of a sudden the, 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 the cloud starts moving and one of the priests says, God's rising, let's go. All of a sudden those guys, you know, went back backwards, put them sticks through them rings on the, on the ark, put that thing, boom, they're gone. Priests are going behind him. All of a sudden, here comes Judah. Here comes Ephraim. Here comes these tribes coming out. And all of a sudden, I look at Renee and I said, get the stuff in the Samsonite. We got to go. And she goes, no. She said, I just got the kids in school. I just found out where to, where, where, where. I like it here. The mailman, the mailman just found us. Baby, we got to go. No. Okay. Except that night, the kids say, Daddy, I'm cold. Where's the blankets at? Never needed blankets. Didn't need no sleeping bags before. Why? Got this cloud up there that's on fire, keeping you warm in that cold, arid desert. The next morning, Renee gets out of bed early, like she always does, goes down there to, to that river where it's always been, except the river ain't there goes to gather up the manna, except the manna ain't there. 
All of a sudden, that day, we go, hey, what did you do with that baseball hat I used to have? That first church baseball hat. Why? Man, is it just me? It just seems like the sun's hotter than it's ever been before. Of course, dummy. You don't have the shade. Don't you get it? The presence of God had the water, had the manna, had the shade by day, had the heat by night. You stay under the cloud, everything's cool. But the cloud moves. And if you don't stay under the cloud, guess what? You got nothing to drink, nothing to eat. You're going to freeze your behind off at night and you're going to sweat in the day. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, for goodness sakes, let's stay in pace with what God wants to do with us. Jesus' name. Because Pentecostals believe we have the truth. But to Pentecostals, the truth is a doctrinal position. Let me just throw you a little, just mess with your head for a while right now. All right? A woman followed the apostles in the book of Acts. And this is what she said. These are the men of the most high God. And whatever they say, you need to do. He turns around and casts the devil out of her. There's nothing wrong with what she's saying. She's doctrinally correct. But she's spiritually messed up. You ever heard of Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8? Read about it. Simon, it says, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, only they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Which means everybody plus Simon the sorcerer. Okay? They call for Peter. Peter comes down from Jerusalem. And the Bible said when Peter laid his hands on them, which is everybody plus Simon the sorcerer, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was such a, a demonstration. Now, there's no place in there where it says he talk, they talked in tongues. However, it, it was so stunning to Simon, he wanted to buy it. And this is what Peter said to Simon, who has been baptized in Jesus' name and just been filled with the Holy Ghost. This is what Peter said to him. Your heart's not right wait a minute, I got baptized in Jesus' name. I got the Holy Ghost. Your heart's not right with God. Oh, that'll mess with your head. One God people killed Jesus. Were they doctrinally correct? Hero Israel, it's my Israel. They killed Jesus. And if we're not careful, we're going to be so proud of our doctrinal statement that we're not going to stay in pace with where the Spirit is trying to direct us. Because God is a Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. Because truth is right information, but Spirit is right attitude. And what you've got to understand is there's a ditch on both sides of the road. If all you've got Spirit, that's fanaticism. If all you've got is Bible, that's formalism. Somewhere you're going to have to get out of the ditches and stay in the middle of this thing and don't get so spiritual that you're goofy and don't get so full of the Bible that you're dead as last year's bird nest. Stand. When you pray, driving in your car, coming into church, God, God, please, Remember what David said? Cast not your Holy Spirit from us. That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. I studied about that years ago. If, that, if the shepherd had a lamb and that lamb's always running away, the shepherd would intentionally break the leg of a, of a 
disobedient lamb. No one lamb's going to get eaten with a coyote or a wolf or whatever. He breaks the leg of the lamb, carries the lamb, while the lamb is being nursed back to health. When he does that, that lamb never leaves his side again. This is what David, who was a shepherd, understood. At the bone, you broke my bones, but my broken bones are rejoicing because I'm not wandering very far from you ever again. Whatever you do, Lord, cast me not from your presence. Remember, remember, remember Cain and Abel? It said, and Abel went out from the presence of the Lord. I used to preach a message years ago, learning to live without God. I've met people like that. I've met people. They got all kinds of stuff. They got no God. They got no God. They got no God. In this messed up world we're in right now. Oh, Jesus. How do you get up if you don't have no Holy Ghost? How do you get up if you don't have a viable relationship with Jesus Christ? You're not going to do this just on your own will and your own whim. This, oh, Jesus. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these sweet people that have come here tonight to Bible class. I hope, dear God, I hope that something I've said has made some kind of sense to them and helped them to realize that that church in the book of Acts fell into disrepair. The bugs got in it. One of them chewed up Jesus' name baptism. Another one chewed up the oneness of God. Another one chewed up pastors and presbyters. And by the time I get to the dark ages, Lord, that, that church doesn't resemble anything like what's in that book of Acts. But I believe that through the centuries, you've been restoring and rebuilding your church. So I thank you for Martin Luther that had the courage to defy the, the, the institutional political machine called church at that time because he was right. And I'm glad for the man that said we need to baptize by immersion. And I'm glad for somebody that taught about pastors and presbyters. And I'm glad for somebody standing for being filled with the Holy Spirit. And somebody affirming the baptism in the name of the Lord. And teaching that you're a healer. But I know you didn't end there. I know that's not the whole thing. I'm convinced, God, that there are things that we have yet to do. There are things that we have yet to become. We're doctrinally correct. But oh, God, let our spirits stay hungry. Let our spirits stay hungry. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. So I want to keep asking. I want to keep seeking. I want to keep knocking. Because just as sure as you answer this question, I'm going to have another one. Just as sure as I start finding something I've been looking for, there's something else I'm going to start looking for. And just as soon as that door gets open, I'm going to believe there's another one that I want you to open. I'm asking you, God, right now, preacher and people, shepherd and sheep, let this be a searching church. Let this be a hungry church. Do not, dear God, don't let us get stuck. Amen. To where we think we've got it and we become so arrogant and egotistical and self-righteous that you can't do anything with us. And all of a sudden you're on the outside of your own church knocking on the door trying to get in. Jesus, Jesus guide us, please. Please. I, I, Please, Lord, let there be a revival in the church and a harvest among the lost. In Jesus' name we pray and call it done. Amen. God bless you. In Jesus' name, greet one another. Say something good to one another.